recording and I'm going to record this little intro without him here. Um, so I just want to start off by saying my dad is probably the most inspirational person I've ever met in my entire life. Does all of the hard stuff that I myself would be like, like, like people have asked, who would do that? Um, who would start their own business? Who would run these giant races? Like, he's just always, everyone's like, they're so cool. Like, that's just how I grew up. My dad was the cool, like, cool dude that, like, does all this stuff. And so it's just really, I'm just so lucky to have someone to look up to like that, that does all that stuff and inspires me literally daily. Um, inspired me to start my own business at 21. I just turned 22 yesterday. Like, those kinds of things I don't think I probably would have done if I had anyone else as an influence. So I really hope you guys enjoy this podcast, me and him talking about basically his entire career of running and into other things in life um, and just his mentality and everything that goes into it. So I hope you guys enjoy. It's a little bit of a long one. So if you are only interested in hearing about the race, um, the 100 mile race itself, go to about 25 minutes because it's about the all of the rest of it's leading up to getting into the race, qualifying for the race, his running background beforehand, all of the preparation kind of like that. So the actual nitty gritty details of the race is at about 25 minutes. So if that's what you're looking for, go ahead and scrub there. But I hope you guys enjoy us chatting and all of the details. But all right, see you later. Hello and welcome. I am recording with my dad today who's done a lot of... um, for lack of a better word, insane things in his life. So we're going to go through probably the craziest. I don't think he has anything else crazier than running 100 miles, 27 hours long. So we're just going to get into the before, the during, the after, all of it. We've got some questions. So I'm going to ask a couple of those. Uh, My experience, this was back in 2014. Obviously, it's been some time, but I still remember because I was still like, how is this? Uh, how am I related? I don't know. Um, so here is my dad, Drew Bartlett, who is going to answer some of these insane questions. But the first ones. Hey, everybody. All right. Let's see. You should see our setup. It's quite um, hilarious right now. Okay. So basically, let's go through how how did you even get into this? What's your background with running? Yeah, so I don't have actually a running background. Uh, When I was 17, a good friend of mine in high school said, you should go run a half marathon. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. We did one run of eight miles around our house, and then I ran a half marathon. And then I didn't do anything for another 20 years. And one day I thought, getting older i wonder if i could run a half marathon again how old were you 36 or 37 yeah dang let's say 36 okay yeah it was 2011 so <laughs> yeah that would be 10 years yeah. ago and i don't know exactly why i thought that i just thought it had been about 20 years so maybe i could do it so um i trained a little bit and i did the same half marathon the davis stampede that i did when i was 17 and at that point, I'd been training for a few months for it, so I decided, well, shoot, I'm already a couple months trained. If I just do this for two more months, then I would be trained for a full marathon. 
And so I kept training because I didn't want to give up that two months of training mm-hmm. and have to start from scratch if I wanted to yeah. do it later. And so, um, so then, yeah, a couple months later, then I ran my first full marathon, a was road marathon. in the rain? It was the weirdest thing. The night before, there was a huge, huge storm. And so all night long, when you're supposed to be sleeping before a big mm-hmm. run, um, I couldn't sleep because it was raining and windy, so windy. And I thought, I am literally going to be running in like a pseudo hurricane. And so I couldn't sleep. And I basically didn't sleep. And then I woke up that morning really early because I had to get to the start line as far away. And the whole way driving there, it was a downpour. Windy, could barely see, like one of the worst you know, storms to drive in that I've been in. Especially and for Sacramento. Yeah. 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 And so mentally, the hardest part of running that first marathon was deciding this whole time when it was super stormy that no matter what the weather was like, I was still going to do it. Like it would have been so easy just to stay in bed and go, well, it's going to get rained out. Anyway, we get to the start line. We're mingling around. One minute before the gun goes off, the rain stopped and the wind stopped. And it was like beautiful the whole time. That is so weird. So in looking back, I used I think a lot about, man, what would have happened if I just said, screw this noise, I'm going to stay in bed because this is too much to mm-hmm. do. Um, and I would have missed out on, number one, doing that thing. But then would I have ever gone back and done any more running i don't know because all the training would have been quote-unquote lost yeah in my mind yeah so yeah that was my first marathon that's wild so then how many years in between that was it before you did the big one because you started doing ultra marathons which if anyone doesn't know what ultra marathon is it's so a marathon's 26 miles anything anything above that. that yeah yeah so it's the craziest of the crazies um essentially so yeah, when was the next one? Um, so let's see. Um, so 2012, I ran that full marathon. Mm-hmm. And then um, that summer, so a couple months later, mm-hmm. I went to Auburn to do this eight mile trail. Um, so Auburn has many different trail races in this case i found the shortest one i could find which was eight miles (laughs) because i didn't know what i was doing and uh i ran that eight miles and did not do particularly well i went way too fast the first four miles and really it took a dive Um, how's too fast what's what's your normal what was your pace do you remember well the eight mile race was four miles straight downhill into a canyon and four Mm -hmm. miles out and oh, I was yes. running like eight mile pace on downhill. technical dirt trails downhill. So then the, the coming back was, was rough. But anyway, um, at the end, I, for some reason, just fell in love with the process of running on uneven ground. It wasn't so much more thought process rather than like yeah, nothing is... to think about where your feet would go, essentially. I don't know. So So this is something I'll probably touch on maybe later as well but for me one of the biggest benefits to running has been emotional 
and it's really evened out my emotional state, I would say. Um, stress reliever, yes. And um, emotionally, it's the only time that my brain will actually completely shut off, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So for better or worse, my brain tends to just run on overdrive constantly, even when I don't want to be thinking about anything. And so the process of running specifically on trails where you have to know where every step is going to be and so that you don't sprain your ankle and fall in a creek or down a cliff is that um, you have to be 100% focused on where your feet fall. And so my brain can't think about anything else while it's doing that. So trail running enables my brain to completely shut off, which is the most magical feeling to somebody who has a brain that's wired to never turn off. So um, the trail running was way different than road running because in road running, it's a flat, generally flat surface, um, black asphalt, yellow lines, like there's nothing that really changes. And so um, anyway, when I got done with that trail race, I thought this is amazing and I want to do the most amazing trail race I can. And I was in Auburn and of course, everyone in Auburn thinks about Western states. And so I finished that eight mile race and I decided I wanted to run Western states. That's So that was two years later that you did Western states? Yeah. So quickly, 2012 in the summer, I ran the eight mile dirt trail race. And um, so then the first thing I found out was you at the time you needed to run at least a 50 mile race to qualify to get into the lottery to then hopefully have your name pulled to run Western States. Because um, what, people all over the world try and run this. This is not like, oh, local California trail. Like this is ultra right. marathon runners in other countries know what it is. Yeah, Western States in many people's view is sort of the Super Bowl of trail races. Mm -hmm. And you know that phrasing probably gets overused. Um, to compare things but it really is like what every trail runner Dreams ultra of. marathon trail runner would dream of doing so yeah there's way more people every year that want to run it than are able to actually run it yeah. which sounds funny because it's um, you'd think how many people in the world would actually want to do this turns out thousands lots mm -hmm. um and they're a little bit less than 400 every year that actually get to do it so I knew that I had to run a 50 mile trail race um, to qualify. And yeah, and that's just to get your name in a bowl. Yeah, and to have a very small pray. chance of actually doing it. And if your name is not pulled the year that you ran a qualifying race, then you have to run another qualifying race the next year mm -hmm. to then have a small chance of getting in. So you're doing it knowing I'm probably going to have to do this many times to actually have a chance. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that was in 2012. So the next 50 mile, um, trail race that was close to my home, the American river 50, also a very, um, well-known and, uh, local trail race was coming up in the spring of 2013. So from that summer of 2012 until, um, early April of 2013, that was my sole focus was to figure out how to run 50 miles. Uh, the most I'd run is 26. Uh, the most on dirt that I'd run was eight. And in my brain, I thought this is, shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> um, 
And so, yeah, so then I looked for a 50K race, so a 31-mile race, um, thinking that's kind of the next stepping stone. So I looked for one of those, and I ran the, uh, one of those in the fall of 2012 um, leading up to it. And then I ran Way Too Cool, which is another 50K race, in March, so a, a month before the 50-mile race. And that was kind of my training leading up to qualifying. Um, and so that was, there was a lot of running in between, but not a lot of uh, structured plans, I would say. I didn't start that until the following year. So yeah, no coach, just running around the neighborhoods. We had a lot of trails where we lived. Yeah. And you had a lot of friends. You had a friend that had run the Western States prior, correct? I did, but I hadn't really connected with him much at that stage about mm. it. Mm-hmm. It was in my head, but it was still a ways off. Because I had to qualify in 2013 to get my name in the, the lottery in the end of 2013 for the next race that I would even be available for Western States to run, which was in 2014. Mm-hmm. So, no, I was still winging it. I actually had reached out to this friend, uh, Chris Perillo, who's who had run ultras before and and all of that. Um, we coached soccer together um, somewhere in that time period. I don't remember if it was before or after. Anyway, and so I reached out to him, and I remember I the only um, training program that I found online when I first Googled it was um, a woman's... Um, 50k training plan and i sent it to him and said like hey what do you think about this would this work and he just kind of laughed and was like you're just beginning like let's talk about let's not go to some training plan on the web let's talk about what you need to do mm-hmm. um so that's kind of where that that whole thing started uh, was just i reached out to somebody i knew that had done it before and said like how do you do this thing mm-hmm. so cool okay so then 2014 comes around or when was the lottery yeah the lottery is in december so uh, so i ran the the american river 50 mile race it took me 10 hours and 10 minutes um i barely the last three miles is straight up a hill out of a canyon to the finish line i thought i was gonna die um at mile 47 just before the big climb it was hot i ran out of water uh i was by myself I had one salt tablet left, Mm -hmm. but I had no water. So I tried to swallow the salt tab. It got stuck in my throat. I started choking. I was hands on knees um, all by myself. And I literally like sort of threw it up, Mm -hmm. dry heaved it out of my mouth. I'm at this point, my head's probably a foot and a half from the ground. I it came out of my mouth, shot out of my throat, hit the ground, bounced up and hit me in the face. <laughs> and that was rock bottom. And luckily, some runners came by. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh so some, some runners came by um, in much better shape than I was and said, hey, do you need some water? I said, yes. I got a little bit of water. I walked the last three miles up that hill and finished. And when I finished, I thought, um, yeah, like the moment I finished, all of the pain of that whole experience was gone. Um, I just laughed at the pill hitting me in the face 
and thought, yeah, I'm ready for this. Like, it's how crazy, as soon as you finish, like, all well, of survived. that stuff goes away, and yeah. you go, yeah. I, and I have a short memory of for pain and stuff like that, um, which is, I, I appreciate, because I... <laughs> If I didn't have that, I would never have run again. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know how I running a half marathon with you, I was like, yeah, I'm good. So I can imagine doing the the fifty and then that experience. So, um, yeah, the good news was I had to finish that race in under thirteen hours, which I did. And so um when the lottery came up for Western States that December, I I was able to have one ticket in the big drum that they spun around and pulled uh, tickets out of. I went with my buddy who I was running with more now, Chris. Um, we went in. There's hundreds of people in there that are hopefuls, hoping that their name gets pulled or their friend that they came with, uh, that they get their name drawn. And I said something to Chris when we were in the lobby. Uh, I said, hey, I'm going to buy this Christmas ornament, Christmas tree ornament that says Western States on it so that I can show Nicole when I tell her that my name was drawn. And he said, listen, it doesn't work like that. You, your first time, one ticket, the odds are totally, it's not, don't, okay, whatever. And um, I said, no, I, this is what's going to happen. Um, totally naive to the whole experience. Walk in, it's it's magical in there. Everybody, the, the amount of hope in the room is like, um, it's, it's like no other place you've been being around all those people who have tried and worked and trained so hard to get to that moment. And they're just hoping that the name gets drawn. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah. Like an hour into the lottery, uh, they said, okay, we have a name from Lincoln. And then there's a few cheers in the room because there's a few Lincoln people mm -hmm. uh, in the room and all of us are on pins and needles. And then they said, Drew Bartlett. And I don't think anyone else in the room had any idea who I was except for Chris. And I just looked at him and he looked at me in disbelief and I literally floated down the theater to where they handed me um, the ticket. And like, I don't remember how I got there. I was just there all of a sudden and I couldn't believe it. And um, so that began the insane next six and a half months of getting ready for Western States. And okay, so was at this time you were also starting your own real estate business or you had just kind of transitioned jobs from corporate to real estate? So a lot of things. Sort of, yeah. Um, so that was the end of 2013. I had got my real estate license a little, little year now, six months before. I got my real estate license. I had a full-time job. Um, full-time stressful job I was doing real estate on the side I was training for Western States and during that same time my corporate job sent me and a few people to Stanford's graduate school of business to do this entrepreneurship and innovation master's program so I was doing all of that simultaneously um, which is dumb I don't I don't know how that worked but anyway um but the what was weird was I took on all of those activities at the same time, and yet I was more at p 
peace with everything and like less stressed about everything because I was running so much. And people talk about a runner's high mm-hmm. and they'll go out and run two or three miles and say, oh, I got this runner's high, which I don't doubt. Um, but when you go out and you're training and on a Saturday you're running for two or three hours at a time, and then during the week you're running four or five times. And um, But when you go on a long run and you're out there for three hours just training, um, I don't know what drugs feel like, but... <laughs> It was what I would imagine um, being high feels like, and that would last for me like a week for a long run. And that's just one long run. One long run. So, wow. So, yeah, I was doing a lot, had a lot of responsibilities in life, but I was uh, I was high the whole time, basically, <laughs> if, if that's what being high feels like without the negative consequences. So, um so yeah, that brings me to one of the first questions I got on my story was, why would anyone do that? Um, well, apparently it's <laughs> the drug feeling. Yeah, right. <laughs> why do people do drugs? Uh, anyway, so I um, I started running because um, I wanted to know if I could do it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things in my life that for whatever reason I am afflicted with it is if I'm not sure that I could do something, I have to. So, um, so I wondered if I could run a half marathon again. So I had to try it again. But then what I found out was emotionally, it really helped level out. I don't consider myself to be any kind of diagnosed depression, but I had ups and downs. And when I run a lot, I really don't have that. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of this, I run so that I emotionally feel great and I emotionally feel great. And so I keep running. And, um, but honestly, the, why would anyone do a hundred mile running race? Um, everyone has their own reason. Uh, some people are running away from something. Some people are um, just overachiever type people that want to see, you know, be able to say they did it kind of thing. Um, and I, I didn't think that I could, so I had to try. Mm-hmm. That's the simplest way of saying it. All right. All right. Yeah. I would say some people were probably like proving it to themselves, ultra competitive. We're both Enneagram threes. And I think you just recently <laughs> learned what that meant. Um, extremely competitive, achievement based people who, yeah, want to be like, yeah, I did that. Cool. Yeah, I do. I do have a competition problem. Um, I feel like I'm a recovering uh, competition addict, if you will. Um, I don't. I don't know if I want to share that uh, story. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. I knew I was had a com- competition problem when I was at a church family camp, and we were playing kickball. We had a kickball game adults and kids and i (laughs) was getting upset when the adults were letting kids have more than three strikes and i'm not proud of it i've repented of that um moment and laughed with friends who were there um but yeah that's when i knew i need to dial this back a little bit so 
I've tended to try and keep that inwardly focused and compete against myself mm-hmm. rather than little kids. So. <laughs> yeah, the church camp kids got a little bit of Drew, the Drew competitiveness. Um, okay, so then, okay, so June rolls around. It's hot in California. It's not. It's Northern California, so it's not. It's not LA, but it's not. It's the Valley. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not Montana, so <laughs> it's toasty. Um, so what were like the things you were eating in preparation? There's some questions about what did you eat. Um, we can also go into what you ate during the race because that yeah. was also an anomaly for most people. Um, what you were able to eat. Because if anyone knows, when a body goes through that sort of stress for that long of period of time, you your literal organs they shut down and they go. Let's just put all the blood to your limbs because you got to keep going the body basically thinks you're being chased doesn't know when it's going to stop so why would it expel any energy on digestion um it just it turns that off but the fact that you were able to eat anyway we'll get to that so what were you eating in preparation preparation? yeah um the short answer is not enough Mm. so i'm i used until recently i was a kind of a chronic uh under eater Mm -hmm. um because I didn't want to stop and take the time to eat. I told everybody that if I could just take a pill and have everything I need, I would do that because I find that eating, I'd rather do other things than eat. And so anyway. Enneagram thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something to achieve. So eating doesn't do it. Anyway. Um, so yeah. Um, in the five months leading up to Western States, I ran uh, four 50K races and a 50 miler. So one a month. Um, which gave me a chance to kind of dial a few things in to understand what works, what doesn't. Um, but the main thing is I just had to eat when I didn't feel like eating. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't fine tuning it. It was like, would you say you were also not eating near as much as you did when you started bulking with me? Cause that's a whole nother story. Oh, right. No, I was running. Or, yeah. I was running. Uh, 50 miles a week sometimes you know 25 miles at a time in a training run but I was eating maybe 2,000 calories a day like just whatever I I could like so um, the thing was I wasn't tracking my calories what I did know was that I wasn't losing weight so I was just eating enough to have enough energy to run the next day and make sure I wasn't losing weight but Mm -hmm. that's as sophisticated as I was getting. Sounds good. Okay, because I was going to say I'm eating about 2,000 calories now, and I'm 5'4", and you're, what, 6'3"? So (laughs) not probably as much as most ultramarathon runners definitely eat. So there are, in the ultra training or ultra running world, there are, I would say, three types of um, participants in a Western States. There's the racers, the runners and then the finishers Mm -hmm. so i'm more of the in between a runner and a finisher Mm -hmm. um but yeah if i was a racer and the elites that run i know that their training regimens are intense and they're super strategic on what they eat and everything it was my first hundred mile race so i was just trying to get there like Mm -hmm. do it doing the best i could yeah yeah because i saw those runners run by and they're like skin and bone obviously they have muscle but it's not It's not bodybuilder looking muscle. No. It is 
literally they live eat breathe run yeah. like that's it so okay so let's go into let's see what time of day did you start the race yeah perfect so um the race starts at 5 a.m so on a saturday the last saturday in june every year western state starts um uh, near tahoe it's actually what used to be squaw valley ski resort uh, now i think it's called tahoe palisades but um so it starts at 5 a.m so we got up at 3 a.m well we went the night before and hung out and Kind of in the crowd of people and just oh, like wasn't there some little douchebag that we had to deal with was, um, so there's a lot of um personalities inflated egos that are in the uh community um now i should say some of the like best most genuine generous kind people is the trail running community um but yeah, it's uh, interesting because we were walking around trying to find something to eat, kind of in the village there, and um, I had on my uh, American River 50 mile like qualifying race jacket that I got for running in that, and <clears throat> um, everyone else had like 100 mile gear on, right? And so, um, and I was totally a rookie. But um, yeah, somebody called that out and was like, you're going to have to do a lot better than 50 miles tomorrow, and that just energized me. Um, I didn't really take offense to that, but um, I remember as a fourteen-year-old, very hormonal woman, girl. Uh, I definitely got a little peeved for you. <laughs> I was like, so, "You want me to fight him? I will." Yeah. So, um, so woke up the next morning at three a.m. Um, ate what I normally ate before a big race, um, like that. I ate a um, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, oatmeal, a banana, uh, some orange juice. Um, that would kind of be what I would typically start with. And then, um, anyway, at 5 a.m., we all lined up. And this is really summarizing, but we all lined up. And um, the gun goes off. And the first three miles is a, like a 2,500-foot climb up to the top of a ski mountain. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just really took our time. I really took my time um, uh, kind of going up that and I actually ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the way during the first three miles mm -hmm. because everyone told me you got to eat a lot and you have to eat early. And so I ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at five in the morning, walking up that hill or jogging. And um, that really set the tone for making sure I didn't go calorie deficient during the race. Mm -hmm. And I started the race six foot three 172 pounds i finished the race six foot three 172 pounds and so i think i did a really good job of managing that uh, calories during the race um and we can talk a little bit about kind of that specifics um but it is all about your pacing and your fueling that helps people get to the finish line So another question we got was, what are the stages his mentality goes through doing during a run that long? So like, yeah, thought process. Mm -hmm. Did you go a little incoherent? <laughs> Anything yeah. like that? So people say that, and I would agree, that running a 100-mile race is like 
you go through all of the emotions of life in during that hundred mile race, however mm-hmm. long it takes you. And so, um, honestly, the first you know twenty miles was going really well. Um, I was seeing areas that I hadn't seen before, so it was all new to me. Um, I hadn't trained on the first thirty miles before, so that was awesome. I was kind of on a high. Um, I got to mile like sixteen or eighteen, I remember, and there was this moment where. I wasn't feeling anything pain-wise or whatever. It was just, it was kind of a flat section. I was running past um, this woman that was there. It's the first person I had seen in a while. And um, I, for there was a very short period of time that I had music on during the race, but I had music on. It was like a song that I loved. Everything was clicking. And I remember just having this rush of joy. Like this, I can't believe I'm getting to do this. What song was it? Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, is it Eminem? Podcast fail. No, it was very <laughs> like. Um, no, it wasn't anything like aggressive or like a training song. It was just whatever. <clears throat> if I think of it all, something good. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, and then like five minutes later, I'm climbing out of this canyon, and I was again low on water. I had like four ounces of water left. I had one gel. So mm-hmm. for those who don't know, there's these energy gels that are terrible, but they're just like liquid sugar and they're easy to get down, at least early in a race. Anyway, I had one of those, which is like 90 calories, and I had four ounces of water and I'm climbing out of this super hot canyon, uh, mile 26 or something. And I was like, I don't know if I can get out of this canyon. Like it was that bad. And, um, but we were, you know, I was told before, like in that scenario, don't try and ration the last four ounces of water. You just take, drink everything you have and eat everything you have to try and propel yourself out. Mm -hmm. And so I did that, sat for like a minute and then got out of there. And so I went from euphoria Mm -hmm. to absolute, um, pits of hell. Yes. (laughs) Like in concern for, I feel horrible and exhausted and i have 75 miles left to run how many how many hours in oh 27 mile 26 i mean it was like six and a half hours seven okay, hours yeah in. that's a long time um because we were at elevation we we're at like seven to eight thousand feet um so yeah it was um that's in a, that's in a maybe a one hour time span from those two uh peaks really? and valleys um, but then at mile 30, Robinson Flat, my family was there and you were there and uh, you got a little bit of video from that, mm-hmm. which is funny, um, to see myself after the fact. Like, I thought I was running there and it was like, no, you're jogging, like barely moving. <laughs> anyway, um, so seeing family was amazing and that was just the rest that I needed um, at mile 30. And after I left, I got some food and then after I left, I was like, yeah, like I feel ready to go. Even though an hour before I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but seeing and having encouragement and a little bit of food was like a huge deal. 10 minutes later, I'm running out of Robinson flat and there's a little bit of a downhill section barely, um, after that. And all of a sudden, uh, when I got some food, I had an insurer shake. Is that one of those like? That's the you know it's like um, they they market it to older folks who oh, need calories. Like protein. <laughs> it's a protein shake. 
Yum. And that hit me immediately. And um, I think there was, everyone always asks, like, what do you do if you're running for a whole day and obviously you're in the woods and you got to go to the bathroom? Like, how does that work? And um, the short answer is um, people just go into the trees and do their business and then come back out onto the trail like nothing ever happened. Did you bring toilet paper? Oh, yeah. You have to have that with you, for sure. So, um, so then imagine, um, imagine then... Well, maybe you don't want to imagine, but, um, so that's a terrible feeling like, oh my goodness, like, what are we going to do here? Like, I really need, this is inopportune. Um, but then, so then it was so hard because like people are running by on the trail. Like, yeah, you you gotta have privacy. Yeah. So I found a big redwood tree, but anyway, (laughs) yeah, no, you gotta have peace and quiet talk about mentality then after that um got back on the trail and man i was i was moving i was making some good time right (laughs) and uh everything was moving at least i thought i was making good time because eight miles later at um mile 38 which i think is dusty corners it's called the the aid station i get there and the aid station workers volunteers they look at me and they didn't say anything but they looked at me like and I could read it in their eyes, like, you know what? Um, they, they, you could tell that they were kind of packing up, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. And there are hard cutoff times in Western states. So if you don't make it to a certain point in a certain amount of time, then you're pulled from the race, right? Because, yeah, you're, like, on pace to not finish within, yeah, what, 30 hours? 30 hours. Okay. So I get to mile 38, and I'm looking at these people look at me, and I can tell in their eyes that they're feeling bad for me because they know. Oh, this guy's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's too far behind. And just seeing that look on their face, I was like, "There is no way I am not finishing this thing in time." So they didn't know it, but I thank those volunteers because their sad look in their eye actually made me hurry up and yeah. keep moving. Okay, so, okay. um, so then, question about yes. so. Did you notice people on the trail as you're running that were like not doing so hot, like stomach wise? Yeah. Like what was that? I would. Yeah. I have an issue with throwing up, so seeing that would make me go. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there's a place called Devil's Thumb. It is uh, an aid station right after the most uh, vertical climb. So definitely the name fits. Devil's Thumb. Oh yeah. <laughs> and um, by the by the time I got there, it was like a mile forty eight. Um, I had picked up a little bit of time and so I was like, okay, like I'm back on track. I, you know, as long as I don't do anything, uh, or hurt myself or something, like I'm back on track at least for the absolute cutoff times. So then I get up there and that was the first aid station I got to where people were like in a bad way that I saw. Mm. And so there were like, how many hours in is this? Um, maybe 12. 13, okay, so 13, 13 hours, hours is people's breaking well, point. And this is the hottest time of the day. Uh-huh. In the canyons, it was probably like 95 to 100 degrees. Yeah, because it's like 5 p.m. at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like 95, 100 degrees. You have run 45, 50 miles um, at elevation. 
and then you just climbed uh, a thousand feet in less than a mile. Uh, it's like a vertical uh, slope out of a devil's canyon. thumb. And so you get up there, and there were cots, and there were people laid out on them, and there were people like sitting in chairs. It looked like a mash unit, like it looked like a military. This is where people like a um, trauma unit. Yeah. And I sat down and I looked around literally for 10 seconds and there's people, some of them kind of moaning and just like, you know, lamenting the day. And I knew if I stood or sat in that chair any longer that I may never get up from that chair. Like I'll just Mm -hmm. go, oh my gosh, there's no, this can't be done. Look at all these people. Um, So I immediately got up when I wanted to sit and stay and I just knew I had to get away from these people. Their energy, not good. And I, I mean, like not on their not their it's fault. Not like they were just like being negative. Yeah, it was like they had serious issues that they were trying to yeah. overcome. And one of those, which would have been a lot of people, and I've heard statistics that ninety five percent of people in runs of fifty miles or more have nausea, stomach issues um, that make it very difficult to continue because they can't keep anything down, mm-hmm. which means they don't have an energy to keep going. Um, I don't suffer from that luckily yeah so like i had said earlier people when you're say you're running from a bear and your body anyone ever talks about any sort of stress response on the body always refers to being chased by a bear so when your body goes into that sort of state it it goes into the physiological response of we don't need um you know digestion it needs leg power it needs blood pumped to all the peripheral limbs so typically people's stomachs shut down because it's like we're not digesting food we don't got time for that we don't have time to poop you know we don't we literally just have to run to live so in that case obviously these people aren't being chased by bears but after 50 miles your body's like we haven't we haven't stopped running so we might as well go into that place so yeah 95 percent of people can't keep anything down because your stomach's like no man we're running that's it (laughs) we don't have time to eat (laughs) so i don't know if it was a function of me obviously starting slow um almost missing the cutoffs but um starting slow and then just making sure i was eating from the beginning and um anyway i in races since then i you know just haven't had that issue um so i got out of that seat and at that aid station they give you popsicles and so i had a popsicle in each hand and i went running down the next hill happy as can be because number one the popsicles were amazing at that point and number two i was getting away from the carnage that was behind me <laughs> that i felt grateful to be escaping yeah at that moment. yeah okay so what mile then did i next see you because it was like eight o'clock i want to say yeah that so, we saw you right so i started at 5 a.m at 8 p.m so 15 hours in we got to this place called michigan bluff little tiny town and it's after you climb out of a, another canyon of uh, 2,800 feet um, up out of this canyon. And so super hot. Now it's 55 miles on the legs. And I came out to this spot that I'd come out from many training issue, uh, runs in the past. But it looked nothing like it did when I would be training. Nobody would be there. But I came out to like a village of people. Yeah, everyone was lined up for hours it, just waiting I to see no their way. person. Yeah. So I was exhausted. I was bonking, which not a technical term, but I was like needed food, needed water, needed rest, all that stuff. I and, think this is where you change your shoes. Yeah. And I came out yeah. and 
I was totally out of it. Like, mm-hmm. I had no idea. I'd never seen this place before. It was like a shell of a body yeah. running by. I was like, is that my dad? I, oh, it is. Oh, no I'm one's upstairs. <laughs> totally disoriented. And um, and at that point, there was a doctor at that aid station, and he like called me over and was like asking me questions. How you doing? Like, how you feeling? Really, I could tell he thought I was out of it. And my whole shirt was just uh, salt soaked. Mm-hmm. So just salt all over my shirt. And so he knew like I'd been, you know, I whatever. Um, not retaining not, yeah, water. I needed some more salt. Anyway, and so um, my pacer, who is, you can have somebody who paces you the last um, normally 30 something miles. Um, in this case, Chris came a little bit further out in the race to uh, pace me. So he came over, literally grabbed me by my shirt, told the doctor I was fine and hauled me out of there. He's like, you got to get away from that guy. He's going to pull you. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, so then I sat down, I changed my shoes. No, well, I changed my socks, I kept the same shoes, but I changed my socks. I had my feet washed, which was amazing. Uh, unlike anything, it was so great and um had enough food and then for the first time in 15 hours i got to run with somebody so imagine running out in the wilderness for 15 hours without anybody mm-hmm. and, then, to to and then having to a like... good friend be able to run with you and um i got up i got out of the chair uh he said you go start and i'll catch up i'm gonna get a few things for my pack or whatever and um i started running and i was like moving like really mm-hmm. well and he catches up to me and he's like, how you feeling? Um, and I go, I feel amazing. And he was like, what? Because I had taken so long to get to that point. Everyone thought like, did he hurt his knee or is he, what was going on? Um, no, I just like felt amazing to be able to run with somebody and, you know, saw you guys again and had new socks, like magical socks. Um, <laughs> the little things. And we just took off into the night at that point. And the whole race after that was totally different from the first half. So at that point, my whole family, his parents, me, my sister, my mom, we were sleeping in a little trailer. Um, No one was really sleeping, to be quite honest. It was no AC. I don't think your dad turned it on. (laughs) The announcer. Oh, yeah. So we were sleeping right near the finish line in Auburn. So it goes all the way from Tahoe to Auburn. And we could just hear him calling names every three minutes so-and-so finished (laughs) 15 like the winners were coming in at 15 hours like where you were coming in at 55 miles there were winners were coming in at 15 i was like this is these are um non-human beings so literally people were finishing 3 a.m like every three minutes (laughs) so no one slept and then so yeah explain running through pitch black what'd you have to wear that kind of stuff oh um yeah, so um, there's a really cool spot, and it was like midnight, middle of the night, um, and you have to cross the American River. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the leaders do it in the hot of the day, and so, they, you know, it's refreshing, and they go through mm-hmm. the whatever. Yeah. It's pitch black. We're holding onto a cable in freezing cold water, and, you know, it's it's not hot anymore, but it's, you know, anyway. What, low 50s in the, in yeah, the summer, probably, maybe? Yeah, probably. Yeah, something like that. So anyway, so we're fumbling to get across this uh, river in the middle of the night. Um, and it was headlamps on at that point. So we're running with headlamps. 
I knew the trail at that stage, so at least I kind of knew where I was and what was going on. Um, but it is, so I ran, you know, then it's getting dark at like nine at night. Mm -hmm. So I ran for seven, eight hours in the dark, just looking three feet ahead of me at, you know, a headlamp shining on the ground. Was there ever any concern of wild animals or do you think they were all just terrified of all these people stampeding through for hours and hours? <laughs> yeah, it's not the kind of night that an animal would choose to get aggressive with a person because there's so much traffic. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't have cared if there was a bear right behind me, right in front of me, or next to me. Like, I would have just... Patted him on the back I and kept... I would have just laughed yeah. at him and been like, just take me down. Like, what do I care at this point? Like, I'm... <laughs> this is over. Like, Yeah. So, it would have been a good story. Yeah, oh, not for me. Not for you. Yes. Um, so that was that was all night running with a headlamp. I mean, um, just shorts and a t-shirt because it wasn't cold. Mm -hmm. um, it felt running. good yeah. after the long day of whatever. Um, but some of the best moments were at night, um, like mile 75, the aid station there uh, serves pizza. I don't know how many people were eating the pizza, but I grabbed a couple pieces and I remember running down. This was another one of those moments where everything, you didn't feel like you'd run 75 miles. Like everything felt good. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. Just like in life, there were these moments where unexpectedly, all of a sudden everything kind of comes into alignment and you just feel like nothing could ever go wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was eating pepperoni pizza and I was literally taking the pepperonis off of the pizza. And I remember just trying to, throw them like a frisbee out into the trees and see how far they could go. Like that's how little worry I had at that moment. Everything was amazing. Um, While other people are struggling to keep gels I'm down. I'm literally passing people who are throwing up on the side of the trail. And I'm like, you know, trying not to be too loud or happy as I go by. Cause I'm like, Oh, that would be so terrible. And, but I'm, I'm using pepperonis as and, and you don't want karma, you know. Yeah, no, <laughs> you don't right. want to be like, "Oh, I'm fine," and then five minutes later, pepperonis coming yeah. up. Um, so that was amazing. Um, and then the sun started rising again. So if you can imagine, you're at like 24 running, hours. Yeah, running and seeing the sunrise twice and not stopping. Right. So, but it was like so cool to see the sun coming up again and i was at like mile 90 and they served uh, donuts mm. at mile 90 and, and, it was and coke yes <laughs> at that point i was getting pretty tired mm -hmm. and so my pacer chris said hey why don't you just you know ditch the water out of the water bottle and they filled up my water bottle or my bottle with coke mm -hmm. and i ate a donut and drank coke the last 10 miles in and it felt amazing <laughs> And my stomach was fine. <laughs> That's literally insane. So um, so that was mile 90, and the sun was up. Oh, and um, my pacer was right with me from mile 55 until the end. So he ran 45 miles with me just because that's the type of human he is. And it was so, so awesome. And there was a, a point at mile 90 something where um, he had to uh pull off and and go to the bathroom real quick and so he's like you gonna be okay i'm like yeah fine fine and i'm running down this little uh, hill and my feet are not I'm, my feet are not picking off the ground very much mm -hmm. like it's mm -hmm. a shuffle jog run mm -hmm. jog 
<laughs> and I caught my foot on a like a rock mm-hmm. and just face planted. And um, all oh, while he's gone. <laughs> yes, while he's gone, he comes back out onto the trail, and I've, I'm up and moving again at that point. But I am covered in dirt. And he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> "I was gone for 25 seconds, and this is what you've done." <laughs> and um, it was weird because at that at that time, we had a chance. He he thought that we had a chance that I could finish under 27 hours if I like picked up the pace a little bit or whatever. And at that stage in, in the race, I was so intent on, I've just got to finish. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that will, that, cause I was, I was great on time mm-hmm. at that point. We passed 89 runners from when I started running with my pacer at mile 55 till the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was almost in, almost in last place, uh, like at mile 30, mm-hmm. it was like 300 out of 350 mm-hmm. and I finished right in the middle of you know, like All, 200 out of 400 or whatever. Um, so the second half of the race was great. But anyway, he said, like, if we if you pick up the pace, if you just run up this hill, if we, if we just move a little bit quicker, we can finish under 27 hours. And for me, the only way I wasn't finishing this thing was if I fell and I, I felt like I'm going to break my ankle, like if I do something crazy. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, oh, but if we just a little bit. And I, I actually kind of, the only time I got frustrated that whole night, I was like, no, like, just let me finish. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't want to blow this right now. Yeah. Because um, didn't he break his ankle during that race when he did it? Well, he, he broke his foot. His foot. Yeah. And Jeez. he broke his foot at mile 77 or 78. And, and he finished. finished. That's, again, unhuman. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, at that point, I was really just like, I've got this thing. I just want to finish. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, then we got to mile 99 where you guys were waiting. Oh boy. Um, yeah. So they had the family run the last mile. If you wanted to. If we wanted to. I probably shouldn't have because I I was what? Freshman in high school. I didn't run. I think I ran like for volleyball conditioning sometimes. Um, and that mile was straight uphill. It was. Correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't have any sleep. No sleep. (laughs) Not that I have any room to complain. You just done 99 (laughs) miles. But I've never been so, like, I probably looked like I had ran 100 miles at the end of that mile. So <laughs> That's I, how I felt. I have to be honest to the listeners. I had to slow down a little bit because my family <laughs> couldn't keep up. And I was like. This is why I lift weights. <laughs> it's hilarious. Anyway, but that was so cool. And, um, you know, it's 100.2 miles because it's a 100-mile race, and then you run three-quarters of a loop around or a lap around the track at Placer High School. Mm-hmm. And so we got to run into the track together, uh, heard him announce my name as I'm running around, the family's running with me, jogging with us. Um, and anyway, it was like the, the most amazing... Um, having people running with you having people cheer just that you were finishing like i was nothing i i had done nothing to cheer for me uh like 27 hours and 34 minutes like you mentioned it before the elites finish the 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 winners finish and like they've since gone uh, below 15 hours run 14 hours um but to everybody who starts that race, there is a general respect. And I've gone to see the finishers after I ran a different different year. Um, there's just a general respect for, like, you started and finished this thing. Anyway, 
So coming around that track was like, this is everything you think about, dream about, know that Western States is about is finishing on the track. And to do it was amazing. So I cross the finish line, immediately go sit down, and my body is like, shuts down immediately. All of a sudden, I felt like I was going to throw up. I'm sitting there just hoping I don't. My whole body started shaking, and it was like, it just was waiting for me to say we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, so weird how you your mind alone can make your body do this thing for 27 hours and as soon as your mind says to the body we're done then the body says well then i've got to recoup from this whole thing mm-hmm. and it starts immediately like if i had run 105 miles my brain would have told my body that it can't do anything to shut down for five more miles mm-hmm. like it's so amazing that your mind just has that control over the body yeah, that's crazy. Because a lot of people, I'm sure, could have probably kept going, but they probably, their brain just was like, I don't think I can. And then their body immediately responded. Maybe that was the right. the trauma you saw at 555? Is that what you... I saw trauma from, yeah, mile 20. I saw somebody at the aid station at 20 having a problem. From 20 all the way till the end. Yeah. Weak-minded, maybe I don't know, or you oh, know. No, I never. Uh, I never. Not you, but. <laughs> no, I just mean. Everyone has a race to run, and different things come up, and I just felt super fortunate to hold it together and mm-hmm. finish. So, on the drive home, what was the drive home plus yeah. the week after? Oh yeah, so um, yeah, I was fine stomach wise um the whole time until i finished then i felt a little nauseous then that went away then we're driving home from auburn to our house and it's like half an hour and we had to pull over on the freeway because <laughs> i'm like i'm gonna throw up and so we pull over and you know you've seen it or you've had it happen before i'm sure um yeah just opened the door stepped off the freeway and yeah sort of body was like I'm going to let all this out now. I feel like you took advantage of me for 27 hours. So now I'm just going to make this happen in front of a bunch of people on the freeway. Yeah. So that was that. Um, And then uh, it was three days of being certain that my legs would never work again. Um, I could barely get up the stairs and like could not come downstairs in any kind of way because my quads were just completely disintegrated yeah from all the downhill bracing i mean of course 100 miles but like the downhill is all quad yes and there's you know western states there's a lot of climbing but there's also a lot of downhill it's actually net downhill um so yeah the quads were completely thrashed so for three days i just basically sat on uh, a couch with ice on my legs and then it was day seven, the next Saturday, so mm-hmm. a week after that, um, I jogged for like three quarters of a mile on the track at your high school, uh, gingerly jogged. Um, and then we went on a cruise for a week, and that was like the real. Oh, was that the that timeline? The real, yeah, one week later. Wow, I didn't realize. Week, yeah, we planned the cruise to be not right after the race because I knew yeah. that would be terrible. 
but a week later. So then we got on the boat and I ate like I've never eaten before. So did I, but yeah. <laughs> I hadn't done that. Yeah. So, so a question we also got was, what did you learn about yourself from it or a lesson overall from this experience? Yeah. So one of the, one key takeaway that I had was, um, and you asked that I think the very first question maybe was like, who would ever do this? Like mm-hmm. what kind of crazy people would do this? Um, and what I learned was, remember when I said, like, if it's a challenge or I'm not sure I can do it, I have to try. So that was sort of the impetus for the whole thing. But then what I realized was um, hanging around a bunch of people doing fun runs and training runs with everyone else who's doing this type of thing. Um, you quickly realize, like, when you're around pe- other people and everyone's doing it, it's not crazy. Mm-hmm because you get in this bubble of well, look at all these people who think it's possible who have done it they tell stories about it and you're just like this isn't that weird like look at all these people doing it and so you got it if you if anything that you want to do in life you've got to get that you're not sure you can you got to get around people who have done it who are doing it um and suddenly it's doesn't seem impossible doesn't mm-hmm. seem that uh, hard to do Um, And so that was a really big thing for me um, in kind of just knowing that it's possible and Mm -hmm. training and all that kind of thing. Um, But the race itself, um, I remember when I finished and probably a couple of days after I finished when I, I kind of realized like, if I can do this, you get this feeling, whether it's true or not, right, for everybody, but I got this feeling like I can do anything. And not in a cliched way that your mom tells you when you're 12 or whatever. It was like chemically in my head and in my brain, I knew, man, I figured out how to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And not just physically, but mentally say, no matter what, I'm not going to stop and I'm going to do this. Um, And everything that I looked at in life after that, that was a quote unquote problem or, you know, challenge or whatever, didn't seem very big. Like, when you do big things relative to what you think you can do, um, all the other stuff after that's like, yeah, I can totally do that. That's not an issue. So um, that's what I learned about myself was that I could do just about anything that my mind. You said mind. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds totally cliche. Yeah, I don't want to sound like that. Yeah. I going back to what I said before. My the body. Cliche, did, yeah, but like the cliches, like. As much as they're cliches, they're, yeah, they're true. Yeah. yeah. But like nobody's body left to its own self wants to run yeah. that far, that long, through the heat, all that. It doesn't. And there are many people who started that race who didn't finish, who didn't break their leg or whatever. Mm-hmm. They just didn't finish. Yeah. So the mind is such a... It's so much stronger and so much, um, yeah, powerful is a good word. Um, It can tell you things that you shouldn't do, that you don't want to hear, but it can tell you things that you need to hear and that you can do, right? Like, it is as strong in both directions and Mm -hmm. so 
getting that uh, in your head and realizing like I just need to turn this in the positive direction um, is uh, yeah it that's a powerful thing that I learned in that time yeah realizing like you create your reality nothing else like really like I've also learned that like your brain doesn't know reality from like fake so you could literally tell yourself yeah i'm gonna do it or that you have done it in the past and your brain would be like oh we've done this okay Ah, ah, we're cool (laughs) we can do that you rewired your brain in a way yeah when you see something Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so then okay well how many years later i get my certification in personal training i'm i think i was sophomore year of college yeah this thing happened in 2014, so six years later. Yeah, so how much were you running from 2014 to 2020? I ran a decent amount until 2016, and then then I sort of stopped. Yeah. Business was booming. <laughs> was that, like, the main focus, probably? I was, yeah, I was really busy with my business. Um, and I you know, I was feeling pretty good emotionally and stuff. So I kind of, um, yeah, I, I changed from training for those types of races to doing adventure type runs. Mm-hmm. So we would go, friends, we would go do some something that was just, yeah, it was still a big effort, but it wasn't about a race or whatever mm-hmm. at the time. It was, you know, a good time, mm-hmm. right? And it involved moving and, and being fit, but so it just the focus changed a little. Yeah, bit. you also weren't doing uh, corporate. So do you think that also changed a lot of your mental yeah. instability? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was doing something now that I really enjoy doing, and um, and there's just more flexibility and difference in what your day looks like. And so yeah, I think that I didn't have the same stressors that maybe the running really addressed so yeah it was just a a natural kind of shift in what Mm -hmm. I did so yeah I got my personal training license and I remember you texted me and you were like here's a picture for reference it was (laughs) some dude and he was like I don't know ripped whatever and you were like okay I want to look like this by June so mom's not married to a skinny bald guy (laughs) I said okay because the balding is happening so the only thing I could actually control was mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I said, okay, let's do this. Um, looking back, I really wish you'd waited like a year for me to gain some more knowledge because <laughs> there's just a lot more I would have probably done different, except for the food. The food was like my biggest concern, like he had mentioned earlier, um, chronic under eater. So I was like, that was the, that's the biggest thing is going to be eating more. Um, the gym's obviously just as important, but you could go to the gym and not gain weight for four months but you gained 25 pounds yeah i mean i'd done plenty of like go to the gym a little bit didn't gain weight on again off again thing Mm -hmm. um i'd done that for a while what what did the gym look like like what did you do at the gym any plan any structure just kind of winging it uh yeah not a lot of plan or structure um i would do the types of exercises that i like to do Mm -hmm. and that I felt, you know, strong enough to do, but no, I would stay away from anything that I felt like I didn't know exactly what I was doing or 
how it looked or whatever. Yeah. So. And it was a small commercial gym. It wasn't like. I mean, I, I've been over the years. I've been at many different gyms. Like. Yeah, that's true. So. Yeah. So anyway, I'd done the same things for a long time. Never seen any impact until you gave me a plan. Yeah. So I. So yeah, you were probably on average eating two thousand calories a day. You would start eating. You would maybe have breakfast and then you'd have lunch at like three. Like your timing was just all over from what I recall. Yeah. I mean, I'm different from a lot of people, I think, in terms of how I relate to food. Yeah. Like you you would rather have the pill. <laughs> yeah. No, I literally would eat to survive. Mm-hmm. That Anything beyond that to me just seemed crippled. Okay. So yeah. So not, not yeah i'm not eating enough essentially so i said okay well we could do this a gradual bulk you said no give it to me 3200 calories i was like okay i mean we could minimize fat gain by doing a little less you're like nope nope (laughs) 3200 calories so how quickly did you see the weight gain do you remember i mean really quickly right so yeah um in four months i did gain 25 pounds uh, 25, 26 pounds. Um, and you're right. It wasn't like lean, you know, food mm-hmm. all the time. It was just like, what do I need to eat um, to make sure I'm hitting calories? So, yeah, we didn't we didn't do a gradual like I, I would have probably rather. But you hit your goal in four months. The goal was 200 pounds. To get to 200 pounds. Yeah, to get to <laughs> 200 pounds with clothes at the end of the day, I think is yeah, what. I call, it, I call it my street weight. You know, <laughs> what I weigh when I'm out on the street. <laughs> and I started at 174 street weight. Um, and then, yeah, at four, it was right at four months later. Um, I remember stepping on the scale and it was 200.0. And I couldn't believe it because, like, I've tried to gain weight my whole life. Like, I've been thin, skinny, gaunt-ish. <laughs> Um, at times um like michael calls um jim you look like gumby or something like that. <laughs> no like for reference for people right uh as a freshman in high school i was 6 1 120 pounds that's how much i weighed in high school yes. <laughs> one at... the crowd goes silent yes <laughs> so um so i had tried for a long time and i'm telling you i I gained that 25 pounds in four months when I, for 20 years, I had wished that I could put on 20 pounds and never had. And it was just so much of it was obviously consistency, but knowing that I had a plan that was like, okay, when I go, this is what I'm doing. I don't have to, what, what, uh, equipment is open mm-hmm. or which one do I want to do or whatever. It was like, here's my plan. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in and give it everything that I have. And that, I would know what I was going to eat and that I, at the end of, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock at night, I go, okay, yeah, I've got like 500 calories left. And so I'm going to figure out what I need to do to get there. Um, So I, I think it's important to state, I believed my whole life that my body type was my body type. And no matter what I did, my body was just going to gravitate back to uber thin. (laughs) Um, and so I had this thing in my head that just said, it doesn't matter what you do. You'll, you're not going to be able to change it. Um, 
and then I did this thing for four months and you know I went went up to the goal weight I'm like five pounds less than that now uh, a year later mm-hmm. a little over a year later um, and I have a much better uh, I know now how I feel when I actually have eaten enough mm-hmm. and like which I never knew before a lot of my ups and downs and stuff was just bloat you know blood sugars being wrong and not eating i would i would eat breakfast and sometimes not eat until dinner because i was just busy at work and i'm like i don't want to stop and do that um and man everything got so much more you know like i don't know all of my whatever body chemistry just got so much more regular mm-hmm. by eating consistently it sounds like the easiest thing ever to say uh, but, but I'd so never many done people it. struggle with that i'd never done it you know yeah consistently i feel so much better having enough fuel yeah and so like you've maintained that level of not the exact amount of calories obviously but the actual just consistency of like oh my blood sugar is dropping i should probably eat well i mean like, I'm, I'm eating before that happens yeah which before I, I would my cue to eat was i have a headache and i'm shaking like that's pretty unhealthy <laughs> But that was like the only thing that okay I have to do this otherwise I can't keep working you know mm-hmm. so um so now it's just I know I'm I gotta eat before I feel like like I'm explaining um and yeah it's like and it's funny the the weight and everything stays way more consistent because I'm just keeping um, I keep eating the same I haven't been going to the gym as much as I was before and. Um, you know, I want to do that. Um, I need to start doing that again. Um, I got you anytime. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but it's just like you said, when you ran with me and you did the half marathon and you were like, you know what? I really like lifting. Running, maybe not so much. And lifting isn't something that naturally I love doing, um, like running. So, um, but we can all, but during that four months, it really figured out how to do it and enjoy it mm-hmm. and that it was um it, it gave me energy it didn't take energy away from me that, so that especially important. the food yeah yeah so so what was like the biggest takeaway like learning wise in the gym because it is so different from foot over foot running essentially obviously there's a lot more to running than that but like mechanics wise of like lifting like what was the biggest yeah so i trained for and ran ultra marathons for a couple of years without ever exercising or lifting basically at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I did, I wasn't really pushing it at all. Um, and I realized like, what if I had actually just did a moderate amount of lifting and focused on legs and core as a runner? Wouldn't that make sense? Oh yeah, it would. And I never did that. And so in my head now, I wonder, like, what could I have done, you know, if I was actually building up those areas? So when I was doing the, the lifting program that, that you gave me, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of leg stuff, um, a lot of power move type stuff or um, that helped lower body. And then uh, I mentioned to you, so I went on this um, adventure run with Chris again. We went to Mount to climb Mount Shasta. 14,000 something feet and um and it was like an 11 hour up and down type of thing and um super hard like a slippery dirt 
like gravelly kind of thing all the way up take a step up it slides a foot down you know repeat for 13 hours or 11 whatever it was and um but man my legs were so strong and like um i had so much left in the tank um doing that type of thing that i thought man i really blew it by not doing this with my running in the past and so that was really cool to see just how much more endurance and strength that i had doing something like that so um it's easy for some people when they go to the gym uh, maybe this is more guys than than women um they kind of focus on the uh the glamour routine right mm-hmm. the chest and thighs or whatever um <laughs> Chest by chest. I don't know what it is. Anyway, the beach body type of thing. It's definitely chest. Okay. And, <laughs> and um, but I really sensed like by focusing on the big muscle groups, if you do those and do that well, it gave me, um, it seemed like it helped with all of the other muscle groups just be able to lift more or longer mm-hmm. if I was focused on some of the core things, which I'd never done before. Yeah. So I think that in the past, I was always trying to define smaller muscle groups right mm-hmm. and um not fueling and this time it's like if you fuel the whole body and work on the big muscle groups then you have more endurance to actually do the other lifts that help with some of the more you know let's say uh, whatever um no like some of the other um you know deadlifting like what do you mean like sorry. lifts i'll just say it this way um if you folk if I had focused on like the core things that I should have, mm-hmm. the other muscle groups that you really want to show off, right? Mm-hmm. You actually can develop those quicker. Yeah. Than if you only focus on those things mm-hmm. and not do anything else. Like I was doing it backwards. Gotcha. So you were doing more like, oh, let's just do triceps today or something like that. Is yeah. that the kind? Of- yeah. Yeah. And anyway, it's it was terrible. It was not the way to do it. <laughs> I know that now yeah. because you taught me. Like, the right way to do it, mm-hmm. but I never knew. But I also, I remember saying something like, you got, Dad, you got a deadlift, and you got a squat. And you were like, what? why do I have to do that? Yeah. And then I remember saying, well, you can't build body bicep curling. And now <laughs> I wish I could take that back, because, good Lord, that is how I train now, is hypertrophy, which is not doing giant compounds, which are multi-joint movements, like a deadlift or a squat. Because you can actually isolate a muscle that you want to grow. Like, obviously, it's you should still not just not just <laughs> bicep curl. <laughs> That's an understatement. But it's just funny, the things that I've learned in that. And I also remember you asking me about lateral raise form one time. I gave you very wrong form. <laughs> and so I'm like, awesome. My NASA really taught me lots. <laughs> lots of things I wish $1,700 would have taught me something more. So if you are thinking about getting your certification, I'd say get get experience and then decide if that's really what you want to do um because it, it, it just it gets you a job in a gym and that's where you learn but um yeah lifting as i've mentioned multitude of times on my instagram it it's not just about oh i can leg press 500 pounds i can do so much else so to sum up um we are all obviously very different in our interests when it comes to exercise and i think People are like, ooh, I hate running. Not a lot of people say, ooh, I hate lifting. I, at least, I think, in my experience, it's a little bit less, like, uh, monotonous, I think, in most people's eyes. I don't know. So, I did that half marathon, and I was like, yeah, been there. I did that. We're going to call it there. And I don't think I've run a mile since. And that was three years ago. 
So I definitely would say I could run and I should run for my heart health mm-hmm. just to vary my, which I think I might do because I'm getting very bored with my training. But also a runner could easily benefit, like you had mentioned, from a lifting sort of regimen. Yeah, sure. And it wouldn't hinder your running, just like running wouldn't hinder my lifting. If my fo- like if my focus is lifting, the running's not going to. Right. Unless I'm started to run 10 miles a day, five days a week, like obviously that would make a difference, but yeah. no one's doing that. <laughs> no, I think that anyone's focus, their preferred main mode of exercise can be enhanced by in my case running i mean lifting would enhance my running as long as i didn't create a pull like i wouldn't want to run western states at 195 pounds yeah no but um but man if i was 172 plus eight pounds of lean muscle on my legs and butt like that would have certainly helped and I wouldn't have had to do a whole lot of lifting to do and maintain that, right? Yeah, you can maintain so, like muscle only maybe literally there's studies that show you can lift one day a week to maintain your strength. So yeah, it's not like running where you have to keep that up. It's think, yeah. Yeah, so I think everybody out there who is not a runner, let's say, or who loves whatever it is that you love, um consider implementing other forms of exercise even like on an off day right Mm -hmm. or that type of thing Um, i wish i had done that and you know in the future maybe um, i'll be better at combining those two things and and see the benefits of that yeah well that is everything we have um for you guys today hope you guys enjoyed the 27 hours of ups and downs (laughs) and reliving all of that with both of us So go ahead and subscribe, share if you found this entertaining, funny, terrifying, I don't know, whatever you thought. Um, And thanks for listening.